Turtle World, where monsters have taken their place among cinematic history, but who are the real monsters? Are they the scaly creatures that haunt our nightmares? Or are they the person you see every day, just casually walking down the street? What happens when man outweighs the monster on the screen and creep into our lives and dreams? With our co-hosts Joe Radazzo, Vicky Ray, and Keith Shago, they will uncover who are the real villains as we explore the classic cinema along with some modern greats and find the monster within us. Welcome to the Chilessions Podcast. This is Eminem, Monsters, and Mad Men, um, part of our series. And who do we have with us today? They got Vicky Ray. Hello, Vicky. Hello, everybody. Hello, Joe. Hey, everyone. And I'm your host, Keith Shago. Before we get started, let's find out what we've been up to. And let's start off with you, Vicky. What have you been up to since last time we spoke to you? Well, not a whole lot. Just still getting ready for Halloween and um, Asher's found motocross. Uh, well, we took Asher for his late birthday dinner to, um, what was it, Medieval Times last night. What a riot. Had such a good time. I, I forgot how much I enjoyed that place. But uh, it was his first experience. Well, it was everybody's first experience. I'd been there once before, but I mean, it, it's always a good time. It's pretty, it, if you've ever been to like Medieval Manor or any Medieval Times venue kind of restaurants, they're just they're just a blast, especially for kids or noobs. But um, what would I do for movie wise? I watched Terrifier two, which Joe gave a uh, great uh, review about. Not for the faint of heart. If you gross out easily, you know me and Scott were watching it eating meatball subs. I had no problem, <laughs> none, <laughs> no problem at all. Loved it though. Loved the new character. I don't want to give too much away, but I hope we see more of her. Maybe possibly another one. Who knows? Um, and another thing I was watching is uh, Del Toro's Cabinets and Curiosities. Oh my God, it is so freaking good. I mean, I think I've got two more episodes to go. I think I was it. they drop every Thursday. I don't know how many they're gonna have, but I got up to like five or six, I think yesterday, five, maybe maybe it was the sixth episode. These are all brilliant. They're, they're great. They're even quite gory, but the stories are just, outrageously good i cannot complain about any of the series thus far i'm not sure if any of you guys have watched any of it yet i have not yet i, I oh my god to. it's so good joe you're gonna love it it's good it is way beyond good it's really good and i did watch um i found this one i think it was on i don't know if it was shutter but it was a female revenge movie called the executioners it's a little sleeper movie i didn't know existed out there and these girls are basically getting back after their male assailants and stuff. And they get a little bloodthirsty about it. So it's really kind of good. <laughs> so, but you almost feel bad for the bad rapist guys. But nah, not too much. <coughs> but uh, other than that, just kind of been hanging out with the family and just doing little things around the community that I'm involved in. But been a quiet few weeks for me. What about y'all? Um, well, this, uh, the executioners, is that, uh, is that like really, really new? I don't believe it is. It's, uh, like I said, it's like a revenge film. Um, yeah, I was it. thinking like, I, I was thinking it sounded like kind of like, um, uh, they call her one eye and, um, 
uh, MS-45 and all that stuff that like the, the late 70s, early 80s. Well, I believe this one, yeah, this one says it was, say what year it is, but Gemma Dallander's in it, and there's a couple of no names in it. It was directed by Giorgio Serafini. Okay. Not sure if that rings a bell with you boys, because that stuff usually does. Um, I, it was on Tubi. That's where I watched it. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was just a really mean-spirited kind of movie. <laughs> that's why I liked it so much. Well, that seems to be the theme this week, then, because Terrifier is <laughs> a very mean. Terrifier Two is a very mean-spirited kind well, of movie. Well, I mean, it, it's really bad because uh, you know these guys are set up to scare these women, and what happens is you know the women turn the. I mean, they rape them. They do all these horrible things, as we all know where revenge movies go, especially on Tuesday or Robin or Gravitas is really big on that too. But uh, this one was, it was 2018. It was four female friends are held hostage in a lakefront mansion by unknown intruders. But as they fight back, the women get more bloodthirsty and they're liking it. So there's some really good kills, revenge kills, I have to say. And um, I don't know, I, I was, wasn't going to watch it. And I said, okay, it's got my attention now. You know how it is, like, think you want to change the channel. And then there's like something that changes your mind where you don't change the channel or, or not watch it. But I, I thought it was a great revenge movie. I think that people enjoy it. And it's Halloween, so you got to watch all that dicey stuff anyway. <laughs> <laughs> like Terrifier 1 and 2. And what about yourself, Joe? What have you been up to? Uh, well, Dave Campfield has been uh, has been filming a new movie uh, with um, uh, Louis Gossett Jr. and Lance Henriksen. That's what you and said. And great. he's had me uh, like the last couple days or last week or so. I've just been doing like some some of the you know paperwork and stuff like that because he's out in New York and now he's shooting uh, Louis Gossett's uh, scenes in Atlanta. So uh, he's working on that. And I, he just had me do like some, some minor clerical stuff. I've been doing that on my off time. Um, uh, Remed, because I met him in 2018, a filmmaker while I was up in Milwaukee. Uh, and he contacted me asking, him to, uh, asking me to help him uh, get a project to Lloyd Kaufman. So we just agreed to take a look at each other's scripts because I, I had written two that didn't really uh, materialize into anything. And he's, uh, he's based in Milwaukee. He's trying to get his first feature off the ground. So we're just going to exchange scripts in the next couple days and try to help each other out, try to see what, what doesn't work. Cause I know my scripts, there's uh, both of them. There's elements that don't work. Just got to find what they are and fix them. Um, besides that, I've been doing my, I, I've been doing my usual, uh, my horror movie uh, watch list from Horror Hound. Today, the theme is going to be watch a movie with a killer doll. Um, <laughs> thinking that Todd Browning's the devil doll because I've never seen it. It's Todd I've Browning. I've never it's seen that either. Yeah, it's uh, probably maybe the first great American horror director, I guess. I can't think of anybody before him that was like specifically doing horror. So it's not Halloween without the first great American uh, horror director. Um I uh, I checked out uh, Dark Glasses. Uh, Keith said it was uh, it was actually pretty good, and I totally agree. It's one of the best Argento movies in God at least at least fifteen years. Uh, world's better than Dracula. Um, very well, very well hard. made. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's a that's a very low bar to clear. Uh, mm. No no offense to, to Dario. He's he, yeah. Wow. This isn't. 
this isn't like on the level of like Deep Red or Opera or any of those, but it, you know, Tenebrae, any of that stuff, but it's closer to a return to form than. Uh, right. The, Did you think it was a little different from his other films that we've seen? I mean, not really different. I mean, it's, it's, it's a Jalo. I mean, he, the, the, um, the lead character is a lot more interesting than, uh, than a lot of the women in his movies have been in a long time. Um, Asia Argento's the, the best friend now. She's not, she's not the lead anymore, which is strange watching that. Uh, I love that it was all practical effects. The, uh, the car crash scene at the beginning is just fantastic. Um, everything about the movie, I really, really enjoyed. I, and it breezed by. The score was great. It was really suspenseful again. And I, ha I haven't seen an Argento movie that that good since probably Sleepless, yeah. which was, you know, 20 years ago. So I because I, I, I think this was better than Jalo. It was better than Mother of Tears. I haven't I don't been watching I, it yet. Well, I Mother of remember. Tears was a big disappointment, I thought. I don't even remember Do You Like Hitchcock? So, like, if I don't even remember it, <laughs> there's, um, so yeah, it was a, I think it was his best movie in a while. Mm -hmm. um, besides that, uh, yeah, Terrifier 2, what else have I seen that's new? You uh, talked about my best friend's exorcism last week, and I just kind of finished watching all the all the Universal Frankenstein movies this week, because it's the week before Halloween, and it's fun stuff watch to watch. Terrifier 2. I definitely, if, if you're, if you can stand the gore. And this movie is not one that lets the story get in the way of, of Art the Clown fucking decimating people. <laughs> Do they ever say why? Where is, where is no, the backstory? There's I mean, nothing. There's just no evidence of why he's so pissed off and why he's comical as hell. You gotta admit, when he kills oh, somebody, he's funny. It's just like, damn. Thing, that is one thing I have to say. David Howard Thornton, uh, who apparently has background as a mime, yeah, and that comes in really, really handy for for Terrifier too, because he he is fantastic. He is such such when he a good was actor. in that laundromat. That was my undoing. The that was laundromat. <laughs> Not a word. He, he in in two movies he hasn't spoken a word. But David Howard Thornton is so good at expressing expressing himself visually that it, it doesn't oh God, matter. Yeah. He's really, really good. And I mean, it helps obviously how creepy art looks. That is uh, one of the creepiest freaking clowns ever, though. You it really say, is. That is really the creepiest is. clown. Uh, Vicky and I both recommended if you could stand the gore. And trust me on this, this, it's this is the, this, you know, Jason Voorhees stuff, like you know, the Friday the 13th movies used to get uh used to get raked over the coals for for, for their gore. This is puts worse. like almost and like I've seen a lot of really gory movies. This puts a lot of them to shame. So don't look for any plot. Don't look for any any story. This is don't expect for a slow burn either. No, just... no, this is not. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, Art the Clown ain't standing in the shadows, wait, no. you know, stalking somebody. He's coming up and stabbing him in the face. He's just gonna come right up and do it. So that's great. Yeah. <laughs> if you could stand the gore, watch it. If not, this might not be the movie for you. Yeah. Hmm. And, and how about you, Keith? What have you been up to? I haven't been up to anything. I think really just a lot of working, um, getting these stories out, signed the contract today. Um, oh, that's right. Congratulations. That's yeah, thanks. So um, happy for you. That's it, really. And um, 
yeah, just working and and then getting this children's story written and this other short story I've been commissioned to write. So I'm writing that now. So that's about it, really. And then watching stuff on television. Watch, you know, got a couple co- couple episodes of Del Toro's new series, which is very good. I knew it would be. And he's he's picked some really good directors as well. Oh, One he did the- too. I mean, that that's the best part of the series, the different directors. And the yeah. actors that he he's, I mean, even up to episode six, there's some people you recognize that he's incorporated. So it's really. And it still has that Del Toro feel about it as well, even though he didn't direct it. But I mean, he, he's written most of the scripts anyway, and they're based right. on short stories or something It's nice like and dark looking. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, that's what I love about Del Toro is he he's kind of taken the mantle of that like dark fairy tale Owns uh, it. thing that Tim Burton used to do well in the, the 80s and 90s. And he, you know, he kind of fell off. But Del Toro has just picked up the mantle of that and made it his own. Yes, he definitely has. So- I haven't seen the new series yet, but I, I will, you know, I, I'm off Monday and Tuesday, so I will probably. So uh, worth it. Yeah. I also think that he's also a good script writer as well, and that makes a difference. So He's a good storyteller. Absolutely. He is. He absolutely is. the The interesting thing about him is when you when you hear his when you hear him talk about film, you hear you, you and you hear all the films that he that that have inspired him. It's not all horror movies. Like the guy will talk about watching like these great mystery movies and these great dramas of the '30s and '40s. So the guy has so much depth to what he's to what he's seen and what he loves, and it just pours out all over everything he mm-hmm. makes. And I really appreciate that about him. I just remember um, when I was watching the making of The Shape of Water, for instance, and he was just going right. on about he spent 15 minutes talking about the reason why the walls are the way they are and the reason why each of the artifacts in the, the flat are they are and the, the colors that he used. Everything had to have a certain color and had to be a certain object. And, you know, and, he is if anything meticulous. Yeah. And he he also believes in helping people with their directing career. And I, I mean, there's also an extra on the Blu-ray as well where he's teaching a class. Oh wow! It's quite interesting. So he believes in give. He also believes in giving back as well, which is that makes quite it quite a good thing, really. That that's actually so needed too. It really yeah. is. So. People do need to get back in this this genre and in, in directing and storytelling because we need it. We just need it. Storytelling is getting. Not as good as it used to be. Hmm. That being said, though, this has been the best year for horror movies in a long time. Yes, I agree. We've been, we've been spoiled this year between uh, uh, X, Terrifier 2. I hear Pearl is fantastic, and I got to go check it out. Um, uh, Black Phone, uh, Barbarian, Black I've heard, Phone. is fantastic. Oh so there's a lot, of, a lot of movies that are coming out this year that people are, are hailing as instant horror classics, so... We're a little Black bit of a phone is awesome. I can't sing that one's praises enough. God, you said I Black Phone? It. Yeah, loved it. I love Black Phone as well. Just amazing story. Gave me the well, heebie-jeebies. Well, that's what that's what the best thing to do. I mean, that's the best thing about being in troubled times. You get the best horror. So true. Yeah. True that. Yeah. So always has been. The first great run was during uh, the Depression era in the 30s. Yeah. Barbarian. I've been hearing a lot about this Barbarian. Have you heard of it? I've heard of it, but I was also told by the people who told me it was very good. Do not look into it. Just watch it blindly because the less you know, the, the more you're going to like it. 
Okay, I've so, been seeing everybody says, oh my God, I can't wait. This, this, and that. All I've been hearing is it's great. And I've been telling everybody, do not tell me anything about it because everything that everybody that, you know, <laughs> everything I've heard is just go in blind. Don't know, don't know what's coming and you will love it. You will love it even more. So I'm, I'm trying to avoid anything about it until I get a chance to see it. Oh, I see Pearl has finally hit streaming. Well, has it? I know the Blu-ray comes out in like two weeks, so uh, it'll probably be a $5 rental uh, around uh, the middle of November. So. Yeah, now it's $19.99. Ain't happening. Uh, I'll wait. Yeah, for, for a rental, no. I, you know, for $19.99, I'll buy the Blu-ray. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then keep well, I'm not going to rent if, a movie if, for 20 bucks. Well, if you wait for four weeks, it'll be free on Amazon Prime like X's. Yeah, X is free on Amazon Prime now. Yep. Well, nothing's ever free on Prime. You still got to pay for the membership, but yeah. Oh, uh, that reminds me, Maggie. uh, The Arnold Schwarzenegger zombie movie. I really That's right. What was it? It begins with an M. What was it called? Maggie. I need to write that down. I was going to write you back, and I told you. It's on Amazon Prime, and it is so good. And I've I've been sleeping on this movie for eight years now because it came out like 2014. That was another one that that I saw this week. When I I, the theme for the day was like watch a zombie movie, so I was trying to find a zombie movie I'd never seen. I'm like, oh, the Schwarzenegger one that I've never seen. So unusual for Arnold Schwarzenegger to do a movie like this. That's why I want to watch it. It's a very. it's it, it, like you you expect with a Schwarzenegger movie that it's going to be very noisy and there's going to be a lot of things exploding and banging and this and that and it's a very quiet contemplative film uh, about a, a father whose daughter who, during a zombie apocalypse whose daughter is infected and it's it's that moment that we all watch a movie and go well you know you got oh what are you waiting for killer killer but I'm like no Schwarzenegger is looking at his daughter who's still showing all this humanity. Right, and he he knows in the back of his mind it's coming, and I right. I'm going to have to do it. But he's trying to like do everything he can. Maybe I can reverse it somehow. Maybe I can stop the infection somehow. And it's it's heartbreaking, and it's a very very good movie. And that one's uh, on uh, free on Prime, at least in the U.S. Yeah, um, I don't is know. It, about is it something? Else. Is that is it R? It's R, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's definitely an R-rated movie. Yeah. Um, and there are, you know, there are a few scenes of like zombies attacking people. Right. But it's very, very, very few. It's, it's really more about, uh, more about Arnold's, uh, trauma with, you know, his, watching his daughter kind of disintegrate in front of him. It's, it's, I can't it's imagine really, really as a parent, you know, that's why I like stuff like that. Cause it kind of puts me in their place sometimes when you watch stuff like yeah. that. What would I do? You know, the inevitable's coming. But I really, really like it. It's it's very good. So uh, that's another one I'd highly recommend. Brings us to our first movie, The Extraordinary Adventures of Adele Blank Sec. Or Les Adventures of Exalers de Adele Blank Sack Or releases Adele Rise of the Mummy <laughs> in Malaysia and Singapore. In 2010, French fantasy adventure feature film written and directed by Luc Basson is loosely based on the comic book series The Extraordinary Adventures of Adele Blank Sack by Jacques Tardy. As in the comic, follows the anonymous writer and 
number of recurring side characters and accession of far-fetched incidences in 1910s Paris and beyond. In this episode revolving around parapsychology and ultra-advanced ancient Egyptian technology, which both pastiche and subvert adventure and speculate, uh, speculative fi fiction of the period. The primary live-action film shot in Super 35 incorporates much use of computer animation to portray its fanciful elements of contemporary action film, special, and visual effects within the form of the older-style adventure films they have largely superseded. It is based on the comic books Adele and the Beast and Mummies on Parade. So we'll do is cut to the trailer and be right back to discuss the, the extraordinary adventures of Adele Blancsec. This is the story of Adele Blancsec and her quest for the power of life over death. Her journey would take her to distant lands to face many dangers beneath the sands. But when something evil stirs in its sleep, a mysterious monster is unleashed on the streets. With time running out and a city in fear, Adele must risk everything that she holds dear. She's in a battle only one can win. Her greatest adventure is about to begin. Welcome back to Literary License Podcast, and we're discussing the extraordinary adventures of Adele Blank Sack. And starting with you, Vicky, what are your thoughts on hey, this you're film? Such an asshole. Um, I got a kick out of it. Uh, it kinda, I, I mean, she was kind of a fun actress to watch. I mean, when I could watch, because I mean, I can do subtitles really easy for the most part, but French, for some reason, just throws me a loop sometimes. And, I, and they go so fast, I think. I think that Spanish is kind of uh, maybe a slower speaking language, but French is just, they're just da 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 da. But uh, I, I, I grasped what was going on and I realized, you know, when I was looking up the movie and stuff, that this was based on a whole comic series. So that made a lot of sense. And it did look like at the end of the movie, it might possibly have more to follow. Um, was, was this 2010 this was done? I can't remember. Yeah, 2010, and I'm amazed. I I I never knew about this movie. Until I've we never doing... heard of this. It is, and I love all the mommy movies. I like movies like this. But it did seem like this movie had a nod to quite a few movies. You had Raiders. You had The Mummy. You know, 1999 with Brendan Fraser. It just seemed like it had it. I don't know if it did or not. That the French were giving you know a nod to these movies, but it and it, the music almost seemed the same as the 1999 Mummy. The composition of the music, um, but that. yeah, I just did. If you listen to the listen to the soundtracks right next to each other, literally almost the same. But it was a lot of fun to watch. Um, it was out there. It was uh, 
it was, what's the word? The French like to be, um, I would say extravagant, but it was, was far-fetched. So you knew it was comic, but oh, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. I mean, uh, I watched it twice because like I said, I have a hard time subtitling with French for some reason. Don't ask me why. But it was a lot of fun. The mummies were a real hoot. Now, that was a different spin on mummies. So I enjoyed that part <laughs> of the story completely. Because, you know, when you wake up the mummies and 3,000 years have passed, and it's like, what's going on, you know? And and they're, they're, they're legit even now. And they've got society and life down better after being dead for 3,000 years than most people. <laughs> but it was a it was a, it was a romping lot of fun. It just really was. It, just the sister with the freaking hat pin through her forehead. I mean, fun. <laughs> was she dead or was she in a coma? She was in a coma. Dead, but right? that is such a very specific series of events that has yeah. to happen for her to <laughs> her to end up like that. The yeah. tennis ball has to be hit at just the right speed, just the right angle, hitting her just the right place to knock the not only knock her out, but knock the hat pin out. The hat pin has to land on uh, on its back so that the Perfectly. blade is up and it goes right through her brain. And through the whole movie, it's gone right through. The point is right through her forehead the whole time. <laughs> it's so it's so ridiculous, but it's it's. It, but there was something. Fantastic. What was her name? What was oh god, Louise Bergoin? Is that how you say Bergoin? I want to mutilate like the French language like he did. <laughs> but but she was just kind of like a fun actress to watch. I don't know why she was very, I don't know, maybe just her motivation or whatever. She was just really enterprising to watch. I don't usually say that about too many female actresses, but she was a lot of fun in this movie. And I did see that she had a few other movies that had come out in the past. And I, I don't know if she's done anything present day, but she's, she's, She's. A, I just enjoyed her immensely in this movie. She was reason. very interesting. Anytime she was on camera, she's. Uh, she was actually very, very interesting to watch. Uh, yeah. Also, like, Vicky, like Vicky said, this kind of did remind me of. Um, oh man, this is. Uh, I, I think it was the Adventures of Young Sherlock Holmes or something like that. Maybe like, that too. Yeah. It used to air on TV all the time when I was a kid, and it kind of reminded me of that a little bit. It kind of had that that kind of whimsy. It felt like it felt like an eighties. Like PG PG thirteen movie that you know had a little bit of like a, a, enough scary elements, but it was also kind of made for a family audience. And I, that's what this really reminded me of. It's kind of a lost genre now because I don't really, or maybe it is starting to make a little bit of a comeback. But <laughs> it kind of reminded fun. me of like, yeah, it was very whimsical and fun, and that's that's kind of like the mummies at the end were fantastic. The guy, the um. God, what uh, what is his name? The, the the character that's walking around the entire time and keeps freaking out that one guy on the streets of Paris. Oh, the uh, guy that yeah, what was his name? He oh keeps my asking. God. He keeps he wasn't asking an for inspector. Um, he keeps that's... asking for directions, and the guy keeps passing out. I don't remember. Yeah, but oh, yeah, gosh. it is what was his name. I mean, also the pterodactyl stuff. I I literally the pterodactyl texted, uh, was a riot. I, I literally texted uh, uh, Celeste from Hex and Arcane a few minutes ago, and I was like, you really need to show this to uh, yes. oh my your God, kids, because her kids would get a kick out of it. And, and that's the thing. It's not, it's, it, it's, like, there is a little bit of violence, but not, like, a lot of violence. Like, there is some. It's not massively like, bloody or anything. There's yeah, the one does get scene, It's off screen. But they don't show it, yeah. They don't show and, it. it's show, and it's played for laughs. Um, the stuff with the dinosaur is a lot of fun. 
I mean, and, and also the way the mummies look, it's cool, but they're not like terrifying, you know? No. It's, it's, they're like it, regular it, dudes, only desiccated. It's, it's more, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it really is more fun and very family friendly. So this is something that like you could definitely put up. Like, there's a little bit of nudity when Adele is, uh, is in the bath uh, and uh, uh, she comes up a little bit and you see, you see her breasts for like a, for like, Second. A second or so, but besides that, there really isn't any any nudity. The violence is very very tame. Um, so yeah, it's it's the kind of movie I, I think. It was just a, a nice fun romping story, it, and it really was. Yeah, it, everything's everything's played in a way that, it, like I said before, it's very whimsical. Uh, it's very light, and it, even though it's it's an hour and fifty minutes, but it doesn't feel like it. It kind they of just shot a location for everything. They went everywhere to shoot this too. They didn't do this from a. Well, then again, they're in France, so they can get to these places a lot quicker around the Mediterranean. Well, yeah, it's well, yeah, it's it's Lupus. I, I, I love Lupus's work, by the way. So if you've uh, if, you, if the names, it's uh, the director of the Professional, uh, the Fifth Element. Um, oh, he did that. I didn't know that. So, Betty Blue. Betty Blue, that. he's he's a great, great Blue, director. Subway, um, Christopher Lambert's first film. Did not know that. So yeah, he's a fantastic. Which is why it shocks me that I knew nothing about this movie. It. I've never and heard of it. I guess it's just how bad a release it got in the United States. That like you someone don't see like too me. Many French subtitled movies here, though. Do you? I mean, when even on IFC or any, this is the first I've ever heard of it. I'm glad we did. Because I, I enjoyed it a lot, so I'm glad we, we found this. But I've never heard of it. Yeah, that, that's, that, I mean. that's what really gets me. I'm like, wow, this this is a really really good movie. And when I looked it up, it did come out on DVD and Blu-ray in the U.S. It's just I I don't remember. I don't think it was theatrical in the U.S. I think here it went. It, it was either a limited release or went straight to video. Because I don't remember ever seeing any anything on TV or, and I'm the kind of person that would go to this kind of movie. So I like Luc Besson. I like uh, monster movies, and this is very much a monster movie. And I didn't, I never heard of it. And I showed the trailer to a couple of friends the other night, and we were all hanging out, and they were like, "Wait, why don't I know about this movie?" I'm like, "It's actually very, very good." Yeah, it deserves a. a much better audience than uh, than it's got. Mummies are just brilliant. Like Patmosis, mm -hmm. the the doctor mummy that they yeah. want to bring back to life. I mean, it's just it's just a great little story. I mean, it's not Raiders of the Lost Ark or anything, but it is really enjoyable. And just just the storytelling of it because she gets herself in so much trouble, but she always comes out on top. She's like the perils of Pauline, almost kind of sort of. Yeah. Yeah. yeah without the male counterpart to save her. Yeah, she does, she does she her saves, own She saves baby. herself. And I guess I have to say, I mean, I'm surprised it hasn't got more recognition considering that it's a very female-empowered movie anyway. It's very she's, much so. You know, she doesn't depend on a man to get her anything. If anything, she's smarter than everyone else around her. But at the yeah. same she time, she doesn't she come across as... Then. She doesn't become across as hateful or annoying. She, she's just very, very oh. likable. Yeah. You know, and, you know, and so she's we're smart metaphor, and intelligent and sporty and very and she's beautiful. And it kind of reminds me of Tintin a little, a, a bit a little like bit. Tintin. Because it has like the same kind of um, those classic French um, characters in it, you know, the, 
the safari hunter and the yeah. you know and the the proper upperclassmen of the French society and all that's involved in the it bourgeois. as well. <laughs> but it also kind of reminds me a little like Stardust, that film that that English film that was written by um um I can't remember her name, but it had like Robert De Niro and Michelle Pfeiffer and all those people that had that kind of whimsical fairy tale like view from it. I think Star Stardust came out probably probably around this time at the same time sort of thing. So, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I have to say this is the first time I've seen it. Um, I tried to find a mummy movie that hasn't been covered or something that's bizarre. That oh, you found seen. it. <laughs> and I found it. Yeah. I did some research and this is the first time I saw it. And I sit there and, you know, I, you know, I couldn't find it to stream, so I bought a copy on Blu-ray, and it wasn't that expensive, six ninety-nine. I'm hoping that they put a second one out there because I'd actually kind of like to see what happens to these characters. They're kind of memorable, you know. Well, I, I well doubt yeah. it's going to now. Ten years well, later. <laughs> yeah. Well, she ends up on Titanic, doesn't she? So. Yes. <laughs> and the villain is still chasing her, so that would be a story and a half with this character. So yeah, I'm probably going to have to seek out. But even Some the guy, even the guy likes it, even the guy who's in love with her, she she's like, she's really respectful of him. I mean, she's like, oh, well, can you do this for me then? You know, sort of thing. And that was kind <laughs> of nice to see. Yeah, but then he's hitting on her sister that came, comes back alive. because of Well, the sister hit on him first. Well, the sister hit on him first. She's like, oh, he did. Yeah. Yeah, flowers she did. for anyone. <laughs> flowers to someone else. It was so good to see her, you know, after watching her through the whole movie with his hat pin stuck right <laughs> to her head. <laughs> to see her in action again, you know, they show, well, they do show you how it, how that story progressed and how that happened. But it, it's just a hoot. I mean, I, it, it's just an enjoyable movie. I don't know how else to describe it. The story is funny, but I mean, uh, just, just Ramsey's the second coming to life like that, wanting to go hit the town and check everything out, <laughs> you know, because here you got dead, dead people walking around looking like mummies. <laughs> And I love the payoff at the end where they're just kind of walking around and looking like, you know, we should build a pyramid right here. Yeah, right where the lube <laughs> is, because that's where that pyramid went. That's yeah. And I like the way that they're all go, oh, let's go see the sights. Those waltz out like, oh, no, no big deal. Just mummies. <laughs> well, I got an 85 percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes. It's a lot better than 25 percent. So somebody liked it. In that, well, that, the review that. in Empire Magazine was four stars, and it, it got like between four and five stars on its release. Well, it was beautifully filmed too. It was colorful. It was engaging. I mean, just the, the, you you paid attention to the scenery because they did film on location. Anytime I see pyramids, just like anyway for me. So I mean, I enjoyed the scenery of the film. I enjoyed the costume design, you know, and the sets were nice too. I mean, it was it was engaging. I also going to say that was quite nice about it is that she's very feminine as well as she's getting yes. herself out of these thingies. That's not normally what you get in these kind of films. It's like all of a sudden it's like, oh, I need to put on a pair of trousers and off I go sort of thing. Well, no, wait, when she's trying to get that professor out of jail or prison or whatever before he gets executed, she comes in at different characters just trying to, she keeps coming in as something, going back as something. She's very resourceful. So you're right, she's yeah. not a damsel, distressed, helpless female character in any sense of the word. And ever, if anything, if any man is trying to help her, she's like, no. You know, she's like, <laughs> pushes on, no, do it myself. <laughs> yeah. Probably and I even like, and I even like the simple fact that, you know, the, the pterodactyl, I mean, I found it quite sad 
for the ending of the pterodactyl and how he was connected to the man. But yeah, I was like, yeah. oh, I really thought they yeah, were going to save him. I really thought they were going to save him, sort of thing. But they're but, in a better know. place now. But it left a lot of um, cliffhangers. I mean, you have the safari guy trapped in yeah. the gorilla enclosure. You got her boarding the Titanic. You don't know what happened to the mummies. So, That's know, what so I'm saying. A- it just left a lot of loose ends. Is there something? I mean, clearly it's been 12 years, so nothing has popped back out. So you never know. Well, the, the funny thing about it, though, I wanted, I wanted to see more of her. Yeah, I left yeah. this movie going, I really like to see more of her. I like to see more of this character. I want to see more of this sort of thing. So uh, unfortunately, I guess it wasn't a big hit financially. So nobody yeah, wants to take a chance on it. Uh, it's it's really sad because as much yeah. as I hear people constantly complain about there's nothing new, everything's the same, it's the same old, same old. When something new does come out, nobody sees it. And because How much of that gross. Thirty-four point uh, one million out of a budget of twenty-seven point three. Kind of squeaked so it by. It squeaked by. Um, so yeah, it, it it went in. It's in the black, but not enough for maybe the studios to go. Hey, let's make another one. Which is really really I'm, sad because it's, it it's a very very good movie. If you're in the U.S., it's on Tubi. That's how I watched it, and I actually just uh, ordered the the uh, the DVD on Amazon, which is right now. The DVD is only seven ninety nine right now, so. I went for it. And it's subtitled, but it doesn't detract from the story. I think that's pro- I probably that's probably what stopped it becoming a world because it's a family. No, there's an English version. You have to rent it on Amazon, but there is an English version. Okay, because the version I got basically there's no English. But I have dub. found in my experience of doing this since we started all this that sometimes when you get the dubbed voices in it just detracts from the story really bad. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, is because it's a family film and a fa- and this movie could do really, really well with the underage crowd. Yeah, they well, really, it's, it's really enjoyed it. But it, but if you, but all you have is like the, you know, the subtitle. Of course, they're not going to be able to read those subtitles that quickly. It's so, been, that, but it's been done right in there, English. You, Okay, because um, the the English is not available in this country. So they're selling oh, yeah. the they're selling the Blu-ray too with the, the English. My my oh, okay. my dumbass just uh, suggesting it to someone to uh, to watch with her three year old. Like her three year old's going to sit there reading subtitles. I just it's a completely blank. No, 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 no. Like, it's on Prime in English. It it, yeah. it is in English, and it's so got the English subtitling too. So you can I can't be able to to watch it. I guess, yeah. I, I guess if she rents the English dub version, she can watch it. It would be a great topic, though. I have to admit, if you, I'd love to see them explain this movie. It'd be fun. A child could probably definitely explain this movie in one of those energetic ways that <laughs> like, would be so endearing. Uh, but yeah, overall, I really, really liked it. If uh, Yeah, check it out when if you if you're inclined to watch this kind of movie, because if you like monster movies and you, and you like monster movies, a little bit of, a little bit of, uh, a little bit of comedy to them. This is fantastic. And it's a good story, you know, with all kinds of, lots of adventure, lots of great places where they film, you know, I mean, the costumes are beautiful. I just love that turn of the century stuff. I always have. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think it's probably, you know, I know in this country it was released, you know, reset the cinemas only as a French film with subtitles. So that probably would 
curve the income that's coming off like with the fifth element the reason why the fifth element did so well is because you had a lot of american actors or stuff like this on it but you but you know i think sometimes if you're looking for like a family audience sometimes if you want a worldwide one you kind of have to go for like an english dub sort of thing saying that i wouldn't want an english version of this movie so oh god no they i don't want to i don't want to i don't want to remake it Oh no, yeah, definitely do not. They'll be do doing that. the mocking Jay whistle at the end. <laughs> <laughs> So let's rate this on a five-star rating. So, Vicky, on a scale of one to five, what do you rate this? I was going to give it a four, but when I started thinking more after talking about it with the costumes and the, the mummies are just brilliant, and just, just the storytelling of it all, I would have to give it a five because it's really just so much fun to watch, and it's really beautiful, and it's, it's, just, got a, it's just got a cool story to it. Who, I mean, the was it Luke Besson? Is that director? Yeah, Luke Besson's yeah, the director. Is yeah. I saying that right? He wrote a good story. He definitely did, and that's so important. And it's really sad this didn't do better. I was really, I like Keith. I would like to see more of Adele at some mm. point, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, he, fought, he I think his next movie after this was that uh, that that uh, mobster parody, the the family with uh, De Niro and Michelle Pfeiffer. I think that was his next one. And <laughs> I have one, not seen that. I heard of it, but I haven't seen it. It's not anything to It sounded really... like Johnny Dangerously to me, which I love that film quite a bit. But yeah, it's not really anything like anything special. So it's I wouldn't say like seek that one out, but definitely seek this one out. Oh, this yeah. is uh it's colorful. I, it just it just everything about it's pretty. What else what else has Bassan done lately? Because I can only I don't think what has he done anything since that? Does this uh this might be his, his, you know, his most recent, like, really, really great film. Um, really love this one. It's always the good ones that just don't seem to. Well, he was involved in um, you know, Nik Nikita. Oh, yeah, that is. Oh, Lucy, yeah, yeah. Lucy. he did Lucy, didn't he? Lucy, yeah, Lucy and Leon. Well, uh, yeah, well, obviously, yeah, Leon the Professional, uh, but I, I meant more, like more recently, what has he done? I can't yeah. think of it. I think Lucy's like his, wait, no, Anna's this last one in 2019. So maybe it's a COVID thing. Maybe he's working on something, you know? Well, tw yeah, 2019 would be, yeah, he, he probably had something coming up and then it probably just got shut down when the whole planet shut down. So, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah he, he might have something else uh, coming up. Uh, so yeah, the latest film I've seen from him was uh, was the family. Then, so I, I'm gonna have to check out some of the, some of the stuff that came after that. Um, but yeah, I'm interesting to see his three D his three D film Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets. Oh, that was have you seen Valerian? Either one I, of you? I have not. All right, so that was that was Luke Besson as well. Okay, You've got Ethan Hawke and Clive wondering. Owens and Rihanna in it, and Rucker Howard. Well, I keep passing that one by, and I was just wondering. I just hadn't stopped to, you know, give it a give it a shout. But now that I've seen this one, I'll probably give another, another give that one another look. See. Well, it's just as Luke Besson is in three D. That would be great to see that in three D because he is very visual. It, he it really well, like is. this movie was very visual. Great way to put it. Um, the, this the extraordinary adventures of Adele is very visual. 
real. It actually put me in the mood to, to revisit uh, Leon the Professional. I haven't seen that in a long, long time. So I, I, I'm staring right at the Blu-ray right now. So I'm like, I gotta, I gotta throw that in maybe after Halloween. Well, this season. is just a little gem I didn't know existed. So. I, that's, that's what's really sad to me about this is how nobody like I, I'm showing it to other friends who are into film and none of us has heard of this movie and we all like Luke Besson's movies. So how do we not know about it? How was there never a trailer on TV that I saw? And it um, did well of Rotten Tomatoes for the most part. I mean, yeah, still never critics, heard of it. Yeah, most critics liked it. And I guess it must be like Keith said, it's just the, the whole, you know, the French whole thing. subtitles aspect. I, I don't know if it even went to theaters in the U.S. It might not have. The one thing I liked about her character, though, and I know when I went to France before, that all these women are so beautiful and fresh-faced, and they don't have a whole bunch of you like we do over here. But, mm. I mean, that's what I thought was really enjoyable about her. She's just really pretty, you know? And she, she was very fun to watch, this actress was. I don't know why, but she just was. I also forgot that Luke Besson directed Taken with Liam Neeson. Tate did not, did he? Yeah. Did he really? Yeah. Oh. Was I it mean, just the first one or did he do the second one too? I wonder. Yeah, he did the first. I think he just did the first one. Which I explains why it's probably set, why explains probably why it's set in France. So I will know. find you and I will kill you. <laughs> I love that movie. It's great. I like the second one too. I like Liam Neeson. He's just a He's kind of a weird character to like. I don't know. I just something about ever since I saw him in that movie. Um, what is it? Oh God, the ghosts and stuff in the castle. What was that called? High society. Like, was, high high spirits. High high, oh, high, high spirits. spirits. I okay, loved him cool. in that movie. I love that movie. God, that's another movie that just kind of fell off the face of the earth. I used it to did. see. On, I used to see I like, it on TV the all ghosts the time. Call, the ghosts call it scalping. <laughs> They're scalping. <laughs> Well, I think his first, I think his first movie, his first Hollywood movie was Suspect with Cher. Oh, really? I thought he's it was, like, um, he's, thought he's it was a homeless, he's a, he's a homeless guy that's being charged with murder, even though he didn't do it sort of thing. I know I've seen that. Yeah, I know I have. I just back when Cher used to make movies. So. That's when Cher first started her thing. Yeah. Well, she did what Suspect and Moonstruck and it all came out around that time. I love and Moonstruck. You just and you can't say anything bad about Moonstruck. I love Moonstruck. Yeah. I just like watching the Italians because that's how they are. <laughs> <laughs> Directed by Norman Jusen. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Taken was Pierre Morel, not uh, not Luke Besson. I just looked it up real quick because I was like, I don't oh, remember okay. that. Don't okay, remember well, that makes more sense. Okay. Um, so yeah, how he, many he probably, would not have the, uh, he probably would not have done the sequels anyway. <laughs> yeah. Very rarely does sequels anyway. I think he did a sequel to Arthur one, two, and three. He did, but I mean, the fifth element has just come out in a 4K restore version at the moment. So, 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 how many stars do you rate this, Joe? I'd probably go four to four and a half. Uh, it's very, very good. It's very light, very easy. Um, it's really enjoyable. It, it breezes right by despite its length. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it's a really fun movie. It's it's one that you can... I, I, this is probably another one where if, if it were to air on TV, if it came on, I would probably I would probably just continue watching from where from where it is. But yeah, I... 
just the release, man. The release is the only thing about this that I, I, I just, it boggles the mind that it, it, nobody ever, nobody heard about it. It really deserves to be seen. Check it out because this, this movie, it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a gem that just for whatever reason, nobody knew about. <laughs> I never heard of it. And I mean, I thought I had all the mummy movies down all every mummy movie on the planet. I no clue about this one. If it's I wasn't doing this podcast today, I wouldn't know about this movie. So me neither. Me neither. And I really would have missed out on a good film. So I'm probably going to rate it about four, four and a half because it's just a fun film. And it's just like, I don't, and I don't think there's ever going to be another film like it as well. It's very, it's very its own own thing as well, which I quite like. It does, you know, it might borrow, but it's, it's become its own film. Entity. You know? And I, and I, and I laughed at going, God, I want to, I would not, I'm actually, it's very rare that I, you know, like when I saw Raiders of Lost Ark or any of the other films I tend to see, I never really like wish for a sequel. Well, actually, I actually wish for a sequel for this. I actually want to see a sequel to this. So I would like to see what happens to Adele's character because she's fun. And what Joe said is sums it up for me. It's easy on the eye, the whole thing. Mm. So. Yeah. Are you looking for a graphic design that will take you to the next level or something that shows confidence within a growing market to help you stand out amongst the crowd? Amazing Designs gives consistent and on-brand designs whether you are looking for something conservative or you want to let your imagination soar. They bring professionalism to a high standard and they are able to visualize your ideas and give them that extra edge. Working one-on-one -on -one with their designers will give you a design that will live up to your expectations and more. Affordable, expert designs for all occasions whether it's logos brochures or whatever you can dream of amazing designs is your to-go place for creativity and hands-on expertise try amazing designs today contact them via email at amazing designs 505 at gmail.com that's amazing designs 505 at gmail.com or reach out by phone at country code 1-805-203-0427 we love them so much here at the literary license podcast that we use them ourselves but I'd rather be different than be the same well this brings us to our next film which is Abbott and Costello meet the mummy is a 1955 American horror comedy film directed by Charles Lamont and starring the comedy team of Abbott and Costello. It is the 28th and final Abbott Costello film produced by Universal International. What we're going to do is cut to the trailer of Abbott Costello Meet the Mummy and be right back. The mummy will find you. You'll howl as you follow Bud and Lou in a strange land where exotic dancers perform ancient rituals. You'll scream at this mystic world of mad magic and uproarious adventure. Does this mean anything to you? It means death to whoever holds it. Starring Bud Abbott and Lou Costello with sultry Marie Windsor giving you your first look inside Costello. Turn off the lights. Let's stop fooling and cut them open. And Peggy King, George Goebel's TV girlfriend. You blew in from the Middle West and certainly in 
Imagine Lou trying to be charming to a snake. And Bud at the end of his rope. Stop blowing! Your nerves will tangle as they tangle with terror, meddle with murder, and try to elude a curse 4,000 years old. Welcome back to the Jaws Podcast. We're discussing Abbott Costello, Meet the Mummy. And so, Joe, what are your thoughts of Abbott Costello, Meet the Mummy? Here we go. There's, uh, well, <laughs> I mean, there's, really two ways, there's really two ways to look at this, uh, to, to look at Abbott and Costello, Meet the Mummy. Because mm-hmm. on one hand, if you're really only watching the Abbott and Costello monster movies, they, you know, there's only, there's only a handful of them. So you don't, um, you don't grow tired of it. Um when you look at it as the, you know, in the, the overall, uh, the overall specter of what you, of what they did at universal, this is like Keith uh, said right before the break, this is the 28th film. Right. And what year was this? Was this 54 or 55? 55. 55. So it's the 28th film in 14 years. Um, and like, I, I love the routine. I love the Abbott and Costello routine. So if you were watching all the, I mean, I guess in the forties and fifties, you were not watching all these films because you'd have to catch every one of them in the theater and right. it's virtually impossible. Um, Cause I mean, there really wasn't a lot of TV. Well, TV was in its infancy. So if you look at it that way, like I marathoned a good chunk of the Abbott and Costello movies in uh, July and August if you look at it at the tail end of that, a lot of these movies start to get repetitive. Um, this one in particular, uh, the, the, the whole thing where um, the, uh, the villain dresses up as the mummy and Bud Abbott dresses up as yeah. the mummy, have the real mummy. They've done that in other, uh, they've done something similar in other, other movies. Um, so I could see why, like when you look at the, when you look at the critical consensus of it, it's, yeah. it's not, you know, it's not very high up, but these movies weren't meant to be right. like, seen like one after the other. Like, it, it, like there was no concept of home media or even in the earlier Abbott and Costello movies, no, no concept of television. So the idea that, that you were going to see it and remember every single bit, uh, you know, wasn't really, wasn't really a thought to them. So they, they would, they would reuse actors and bring people back. Shemp Howard is in a bunch of them in the beginning. Yeah, um, that's true. Not in this one, but um, is this Peggy point, King the singer? Yeah, she might be. They use a lot of they use a lot of uh, a lot of singers in a lot of these. Uh, well, I can see oh, where they got the twenty five percent rotten. It's not their best. I mean, by by any. No, I, th- I think I think the problem with these series films anyway is that, I mean, if you look at the Bud and Abbott the you know Abbott Costello films anyway you have the ones where they're joining the army or the navy or the marines and the thing is is then they they had those and it's like the first one's quite funny and then as you get down they get weaker and weaker because it becomes the same movie over and over and over again then you had and then they tried a bunch of different stuff like who done it it's actually brilliant and there's right. other stuff that's I actually love quite, who done it I like who done it 
And there's quite a good time of their lives is my favorite one. And then, and then, and then they go, and then they go on another Pinoche thing where there's actually they go on a series of like the same, the same script being written over and over and over. And then we get the Universal ones, and of course they start out, you know, they start out strong, and then of course over, you know, they start weakening. I think, I think the Mummy what suffers from it doesn't have any horror icons in it, where That's Frankenstein and you know the other ones had these horror icons in it. And this was one's the bat? Like, the you know how they had the bat. The animated bat coming through the tunnel was that a nod to Dracula? Possibly. I think it's just a. I think I think it's or like just a, a bat. A, I think it's just a bat like in Scooby Doo at the beginning of that. So I think it's just like oh, scary, I was scary wondering, sort of thing. Because they played um, that mood music, and a lot of it mm-hmm. is just music they reuse a lot. I get that, but I was just wondering. Well, you, Universal well, you, you did get that the, a lot. Yeah, Universal but, did but that you a get lot. This, yeah. But you get this with a lot of film stuff anyway. Like if you look at the Mom Pa Kettle series, which I love Mom Pa Kettle, but they start out really strong, starting out with the Egg and I and the next ones and the ones that they're on their own and they go really strong. But as you go through the series, they get weaker and weaker and weaker because they're telling the same jokes over and over and over again. Yeah. And um, and and you get to, and you can also tell that, I mean, by this time, I mean, these two people weren't actually getting on that well either. No, you know? not anymore. So but they're, the, they're son, at the end. Didn't of, his son drown? When did his Lucas Dello's son pass away? I I wasn't sure if that because that's when really things. Started. I think it, I think it, I think it was Bud Abbott's, wasn't it? The 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 the, it was the, thin, one, the thin one the thin one's Bud and the the fat one's Lou. Yeah. yeah. So. I don't remember which uh, which which one had the uh, had the son that died. I I do remember hearing, and I don't know how true it is that they that uh, apparently they used to squander a lot of their money because they uh, they used to gamble a lot. I don't know if that's actually true or not, uh, but I remember hearing hearing when I was younger that Lou Costello died penniless. I don't think that was necessarily the case. Um, he died when he was fifty-two. His son drowned in a pool in forty-three. So, but they oh. did put out a lot of great com- comedies, though they did. They were well. I think their their uh, comedy teams don't last for very long anyway. I think what happens is because you have to have the straight man. And then you have to have the the the, the funny one, right? And yeah. what happens is the funny one. You know, if you look at Martin and Lewis, Jerry Lewis was the funny one. So more people wanted to see Jerry Lewis, and because he became more popular than Dean Martin, even though Dean Martin's music was okay. But as far as his acting, because Jerry Jerry Lewis was the funny one, so it's Jerry Lewis getting like these the solo work. In this case, Lou Costello's getting you know Jack and the Beanstalk. Or, well, they you know, said what started out, it. You know, they said that they they started harboring ill will toward each other beginning in 45 when Abbott reportedly hired a maid who had previously worked for Costello. And the report states that Costello took their feud to the press, kickstarting many years of fighting and bad feelings. How stupid. Were they faking <laughs> well, the maid? But, but you also got to remember, it's just like, I mean, they're like a family. They're stuck together 24-7. Yeah, true, true. You know, and you, and you get on each other's nerves. And I, you know, I do think that when it comes to comedy teams or even when it becomes to singing duos, is that, you know, sometimes it's really hard for the audience to sit there and focus evenly on both. And what normally one else ends up shining out, shining the other for whatever reasons. And that creates a little bit of harboring you know it's like the reason why two actors living together very rarely make it in a marriage because normally when one is up the other one's down and when the other one's up the other one's down sort of thing oh you know, that's so, so sad though if you look up the picture <laughs> it's just heartbreaking they said he was never the same after that 
which I can totally understand. But uh, it, it's just that that might have, that could have something to do with it too. I mean, who wants to be funny when you have to carry that around? Well, another thing or, is, I think, but I mean, Bud Abbott. I mean, sorry, Lou Costello had a film career after they broke up, and Bud Abbott. What was he doing after? But, he did a couple of movies on his own. He did that one with the giant woman, that um, Technicolor comedy. You know, he was, he was oh, in love did with he? The, I didn't know he was in that. Gigantic woman. Um, I can't remember the name of that actually. Um, I looked that up. He also did the one where he's a ghost, um, and you know, he gets drowned in a. Um, he drowns in a well, and then he comes back as a ghost. He did that one as well, which used to be played on TNT a lot. I um, never really thought of them having much of a career, much past as who's on first, you know, days, you know? He smoked a lot, though. Did he die of old age, or did he just die of cancer? I wonder now. I'm going to have to look it up. There we go. I'll add these to my watch list. I was not even uh Yeah, really he did die of, of cancer. Yeah. Oh, the 30 foot the the 30 foot bride of Candy Rock, so it's called. And then he had a heart attack after that, and then he died um right after making that movie. It's so sad how all these people just you know, they have all this fortune and fame, but you know, they just always seem to have such sad endings. Well, yeah. comedian, comedians always have really sad endings anyway. It's very rare that you find a, a happy life comedian. True. Well, you got Robin Williams, Chris Farley. You got a mm. bunch of them when you think about it. You're right. I never really thought of it in that context, but there really isn't very many comedians that are happy or died a happy death. Not yeah. many. George Carlin uh, seems to be the exception of the rule because he, you know, he just... Uh, you know, he, high he all the time. What, his <laughs> he was high all the time. The thing, the thing that uh, the thing about Luke Costello that I, I, I th- like, I always felt like he was the one. Like he, he loved Chaplin. Uh, yeah. And he kind of had that that um, that ability to kind of do pathos like Chaplin did, and mm. like Vicky said, in the time of their lives in um, uh, Little Giant. Um, Buck Privates come home. I love all chance, that stuff. He got a chance to show that. Uh, but Abbott really is kind of one note in a lot of these movies. I, I, you know, I mean, what are you going to do? You're the straight man to Lou Costello. So there really isn't a lot for him to do in a lot of these. Um, but that being said, I mean, as well, I a think team, that they enjoyed, I, they enjoyed a, a really good uh, career and a productive one because we were at war. It was the 40s. That's when America was very patriotic and Hollywood. I don't think we'll ever see Hollywood that patriotic ever again. But I mean, those, you know, people were, it was just people would go to the movies to get their, their news too. I mean, it was just, you know, I mean, I, like Joe says all the time, until Joe had mentioned that a couple of weeks ago, it never dawned on me. Well, nobody was really going to go back and see these films again, like we have the home media now. I never thought of that, and that explains so much. So when you look back into older film, well, that's why when you look at like the the Universal uh, monster movies and you see the sequels, and you'll see Lionel Atwell is the um, is the cop with the the you know the missing arm in Son of Frankenstein. Then in Ghost of Frankenstein, he's uh, Dr. Frankenstein's uh, uh, assistant in uh, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. He's, I think, the burgomaster of uh, whatever town. 
and because the the idea was you're not going to remember them anyway because it's going to be a couple of years and there's no home media there's no television there's no dvd or vhs or any anything like that and that's a lot of the reason also why when you get to these comedy uh these comedy uh teams the three stooges abbott and costello uh laurel and hardy Oh, the Bowery Boys. I'm looking at my Bowery yeah. Boys DVDs. A lot of them get repetitive because there was never any thought that you were ever going to see these movies again. And you're probably not going to see every one of these movies because they're a lot of times, especially with the Bowery Boys, they were, they were like, they were the B, they were the B movie that, that was playing before the A, the A level feature that you were there to see. Right. So the odds that you were going to ever see these movies again was very, very minute. So they could recycle plots. They could just change casting and nobody would notice because no. you're not going to remember who's keeping records. Yeah. See, I know, another thing I think with the Abbott and Costello, there might, there might've been a problem if there was more of the monster things. Cause what happens is, is that around this time when the universal monster films are coming out at this time for Abbott and Costello is that, kids would be dropped off at the cinema on a Saturday and they would spend all day at the cinema. And then of course yeah. they would get their feature and then, then they get their main feature, their B roll picture, their cliffhanger, their cartoon and everything. That's right. And they'd be there for the day and, and, and they would, and they would go week after week after week. Now the thing is that works out fine. If you have, if, if you're covering over an eight, an eight week, an eight year period, what happens though, if you make less than eight, what happens is, is, um, those kids haven't grown up yet and they're still in that process. Do you know what I mean? So what happens basically is that everything changes within eight years. So what happens is, you know, if you look at TV shows, let's take a teenage TV show. Let's take, you know, let's take Carissa explains it all for instance. And the thing is it does really well for the first five to seven years because those, those people are growing up with it. But then what happens is these kids or these kids get a life outside of television or going to the movies or become teenagers. And so all of a sudden it's like, they're not going every single week. And so that core audience is gone sort of thing. Yeah. So therefore, and so therefore, you know, and, and, but the thing is, but you have to keep it fresh for those five to seven years, because if you don't, these same people who started out with you are the ones who are going to get fed up with you before you finish as well. Cause like, Oh, lyrics. And that's probably reason why the mummy didn't do so well at the box office either. Because you know, there's what six of them, five or six of them. So you're looking at one per year. If we're, I mean, if we're, if, if you really like, what is it? Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Abbott and Costello meet the killer Boris Karloff. Abbott and Costello meet the Invisible Man. Um, Wolf Wolfman. Man. Well, that's Frankenstein. That's Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. There, there's no Abbott and Costello meet the Wolfman. No. Um, he's in the he's in the Abbott and I can't Frankenstein. remember. I'm getting them all confused. Yeah, you're right. I think because he why. because the Wolfman the Wolfman's the one warning warning them not to deliver the crates with Dracula. Yeah. And Frankenstein. So, I love that movie. I don't and care. And then I think the Mummy's the last one. Yeah, I think it's. I think is it only five? Yeah. So you really wouldn't five. have your yeah. So by the time you get to here, and they've already run out of steam by the fifth one. So. And I mean, at this they could point, have done more with it. I, I I could see where they could have done more with it. I, maybe they got lazy or complacent. I don't. I don't. I don't. If the thing is, it's not them. First of all, it's like I don't know how if they were still doing their live show as well, because a lot of their earlier stuff would include a you know a bit of their stick from their right. live performances right. or from their blessed yeah. days, and they were able to do that. 
And here, what you have is basically, you know, it's you got you got paint. The thing is that, you know, you got Luke Costello screaming that he's scared. Buzz going, "What are you scared about?" Oh no, no, I've seen it over there. It's like I don't see anything over there. And you got that yeah. stick going on over and over. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the the thing with the bodies because that they did that in Who Done It. They did that in uh, Abbott and Costello Meet the Killer, Boris Karloff, where you have the dead body that Lou sees, and by the time Bud Abbott comes around, the body's somewhere else because somebody's somebody's screwing yeah. around with them. So that's the thing is that it, it, by this point you've seen them do this and, and that's i think right. part of why people tend to you know kind of not like these uh these later movies as much i mean even um probably their their most beloved abbott and costello meet frankenstein the whole bit with dracula raising the coffin lid and the the candle moving they right. did that in, they did that and hold that ghost Yes, they did. You're right. I didn't even think of that. You are 100 percent correct. Where, on he that. had the girl with him. The girl. The girl's reading whatever, and uh, Luke, you know, the 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 candle, the candle moves and, back and forth. Yeah, and he keeps calling. He keeps calling uh, Bud Abbott. Bud Abbott keeps running over, and uh, oh, what, what, what? It'll, it'll remove back. So, by this point, 15 years of doing a lot of the same shtick, it's yeah. going to, you know, people are going to get a little tired of it. Because uh, Who Done It was what, like 1943, right? And that's the first time they did the whole thing with the, excuse me, with the or maybe Hold That Ghost was the first time they did the thing where like a body is, you know, getting moved around. So by that point, you've seen this in like four, five, six movies. I think even in yeah. Abigail Tell Me the Invisible Man, they even do it. And you also got to remember, for two to three three years here, they were also on te- on your television set at home yeah, as well, right. and their own TV series. Those are doing all on same- TV right now too. All those do- doing the same old shtick that they're doing and that you're paying to the movies to go see. So, you know, and I have to say that I mean they didn't write their I mean they didn't write their screenplays. I mean, and they were under contract, and it does feel like I mean, it's still enjoyable. I still enjoy it because I do like them. Um, it wouldn't be the one I'd like, oh, you know, let's watch this because you'll really right. like it. It's not my favorite. But <laughs> saying that, um, I, you know, I do think that they they seem a bit tired with the formula as well. You can see that they don't really want to do be there anymore. There's that oh, kind they of... they didn't even... Uh, go ahead. Go ahead and finish it. <laughs> uh, I mean, well, I mean, they, they filmed it really quickly. They quick they filmed it. Let's get this. That's, it's almost like, let's film this as quickly as we can because after this, our contract's over when we don't have to make any more. And it has that. Were they always with Universal? No, they made a lot of movies at MGM. uh, They got loaned out here and there. Yeah, yeah. But the the thing is, like, even when you when you look at the character names here, because in the other movies they'd always have, you know, the characters would always have a name. Here, they're Bud Abbott and Lou Costello. Like they, the writers didn't even bother even trying to come up with a name for them. Yeah, that's true. Get get this movie over with. Uh, you know, that, that, well, that just... another thing is, is by this time they can't even get lost in their characters because everyone knows them as Costello, Abbott, and Costello, or that's them. You know what I mean? It's just like they, they, they are, they outshine any character that they can become now because they're that, they're that, they're the characters that they become. Do you think their that Laurel and Hardy and, and uh, the other comedians of that day, Chaplin, do they all get this, get the same tired routine after a while? Well, Chaplin, Chaplin was different because Chaplin, Chaplin was Chaplin was also Chaplin was a director different. and a writer yeah. and everything like that. So that's different. Laurel and Hardy's, you know, they're they're becoming a bit tiresome by the end of their career, sort of thing. Buster Keaton was something else. He got screwed by the Hollywood system. So, but he was he he wrote his own stuff and right, you know, he directed and and that makes a difference when you're writing your own stuff and you're directing yourself. 
than it does if you got someone else doing um you have a team behind you doing it all for you and you all you right. just show up on set and know your lines Chaplin, yeah, Chaplin was a completely different beast because he would do his he knew he knew what he wanted and he went and did it. Uh because he when he was doing the stuff at um in like 1913, 1914 at Keystone, he got tired of how uh how much Max Sennett was kind of making everything the same. Uh he even had Chaplin like show up as one of the Keystone cops at one point. So he left because he wanted to do his own thing, and Max Sennett was not letting him do that. Um, I think next he was at either SNA or Mutual, and I I forget when he started directing. I don't remember if he was directing at Keystone, but once he he left and he started doing his own thing, his, his stuff got a lot better. Um, he was playing the tramp character a lot, but he he had this ability to make this character to make the tramp character kind of the everyman to represent everybody. So Chaplin was an entirely different uh, different monster. Um, Laurel and Hardy, I remember they had issues with Hal Roach Studios and they wanted out. By the time they got to 20th Century Fox, though, those movies weren't as good. Um, like the, the stuff that had the do. same thing. Buster Keaton had his own company, making his own films, writing his own films, doing it all. And then he got offered a job at a studio and that's when it all went downhill for him because the studio didn't let him do be who he is. So he didn't yeah. own his own whatever anymore. And well, they when took it's, over and improvised. Well, well, when you sign a movie contract, what happens is, is what you know, when you own your own studio and you're able to make your own pictures, you know, you can play to your strength and you can do whatever you want, basically, which became right. a huge hit for him. But you know, he thought it'd be a good idea that for better distribution of his stuff, that if he signed up with, I can't remember what, I don't know if it's 20th century or one of the big ones, but what happened is they pretty much go, you're doing this, you know, yeah. Oh, just shut up and do, do what we told you to do. You're us. You belong to us now. And that's what it became. And Chaplin did the same thing. Once he broke away and became his own studio, then he you know, that's what kept him fresh and kept going. But if he stayed, he would have just been turning out the same old stuff over and over and over again. And that's why when you see like, that's why when you see like Mom, Pa, Kettle or Bowery Boys or any of those things in a series, they, you know, even Don Knotts films after a while become the same thing over and over and over again. Though if you look at the first couple, you know, Mr. Limpet and the um, the one with the ghost, the ghost of Mr. Chicken, the right films. Oh, yeah. But at, but as you get on with his films, it's like you can just tell that basically it's like, OK, well, these made really good. So we're just going to keep doing this film over and over and over again because it's making money. And that's what the studios are. And I think that's probably what happened with Abbott Costello. It's like, well, you know, you, you, we're paying you money. Show up on set, you know, and, and they don't expect you to see every one of them either. That was the other thing. Yeah. Uh, like, like you realize how episode, like it kind of becomes I, I, I think the sitcom kind of became what what we see here because everything is reset back at the back at the uh the beginning every single time uh, i remember like earlier this year i bought all four of the bowery boys box sets from warner archive and i've been through the first three this year i haven't i started the fourth one but i haven't finished it yet um but i started noticing a lot of times it's something happens to um uh Who's the second guy? Not Leo. Hunts Hall. Something happened where where Hunts Hall is you know becomes a psychic. They did that like two or three times. Uh, there, there's a, a creepy old guy in a mansion, and uh, 
for some reason, whenever they do these monster movies, the monster is a guy in a gorilla suit because I guess they, you know, they, they were keeping it cheap. So the 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 the, the creepy old guy, the creepy old guy in the mansion. In one movie it's Alan Napier, in another movie it's another guy. But he's got a gorilla, and the gorilla. And they're trying to put Hunt Hall's brain in the gorilla. They did that twice, and I, you know, I watched the movies over the course of like two three months. They they weren't meant to be seen that way. So, but even if you look at, come, but even if you look at John Wayne vehicles, yes. They became very repetitive as well. Or you look at Gene Autry or any of those things or Esther Williams. You've seen one Esther Williams film and you've seen them all. It's like Adele. You hear one Adele album, you pretty much hear everything she's going to do in the rest of her life. Or Enya. Remember Enya? <laughs> by, yeah. by, 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 by Orinoco Flow and you pretty much got everything she's going to sing for the rest of her life. Because <laughs> it all sounds the same. And, and, that's, and that's pretty much what you get when you got star vehicles doing star things. And, you know... And you know, at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's a, this is what sells. It's a brand that sells. We're going to stick to this brand and we don't really need to do anything outside this brand because this brand sells. I mean, as much as I love the uh, Roger Corman, Vincent Price, Edgar Allan Poe movies, Vincent Price was playing, once they made Fall of the House of Usher, every ver- almost every Edgar Allan Poe movie outside of maybe Mask of the Red Death, Vincent Price is playing basically Roderick Usher in those movies because well, the raven, the well, like the raven was a little bit of a departure too but pit in the pendulum uh tomb of lygia um i think to the point where i think corman even used the same footage of the the, the mansion burning down in almost every movie. i think you're right i think they did recycle that footage i believe i read that somewhere else well, well we uh, we co- we covered all those in our edgar Allan poe season so yeah <laughs> uh, i think that's where i read I it. the show before I joined yeah. the show. That was part of our books to screen when we did a whole season of Edgar Allan Poe. We found some excellent ones outside the Edgar Allan Poe as well, like the Dario Argento one and the Yeah. I and, I you know. liked his version of uh 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 fuck, what was it? It was uh a, a case of M. Valdemar was Romero and Argento's was the black cat. Black cat, yeah. But he kind of put in so, the pit and the pendulum and he kind of put in different uh different things. That was really good. Too. Yeah, Two Evil Eyes is the name of the movie. Uh, but yeah, kind of. it's also kind of what happened to Bela Lugosi. Once he left Universal, every yeah. movie is Lugosi is a mad scientist who's what what changes is yeah, this is this is what he's trying to accomplish, but he's always the evil mad scientist who is responsible for all the deaths in the small town. That's what these movies eventually became. Uh, and it's, a, it's, it's kind of sad, but that's when Bella you was, I think, the- but Bella was a lot about the money as well, wasn't it? Because he had to feed his oh, morphine yeah. addiction. So yeah. <laughs> his know. son has come out and done some documentaries where where he gets interviewed and stuff and talks about his father. These are probably older ones. I'm I'm probably pretty sure. But they're they're kind of interesting. It gives a lot of insight into his life. Yeah. I mean, he really was tossed aside like old shoe leather, like no. Yeah, but I but he he kind of brought that on himself to a certain extent as well, though. Because the thing yeah. is, he th- he thought he was a Shakespearean great actor. I'm not saying he is or isn't, but because you have that, and they were and they were offering him interesting things, and he thought that these were beneath him because he he got his head got quite filled after Dracula because he became you know that and, over and, and you know where if he if he went down the more of the boris 
Karloff thing is like, okay, well, yeah, I'll try. I'll give this a try. Why not? I'll, I'll do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And been, and Boris, Boris Karloff is like, okay, I'll find something interesting in this character that I want to do. I'm, right. I'm you know, it might be boring for me, but I'm going to find something interesting about this so I can find this film interesting and I can make an interesting character. And that's how Boris looked at it. Yeah. Bella's sure. like, I'm here for the paycheck. I just need the money because I need to shoot myself up. So, well, I mean, <laughs> was he an yeah. yeah, morphine addict, yeah. I didn't know he, that. He created, he created basically his own competition when he turned down Frankenstein. Mm. He didn't want to do Frankenstein because he felt the monster was beneath him. And yet Karloff managed to put in such a great sympathetic portrayal that Karloff became a big star. And um, but Can you imagine... Lagosi doing Frankenstein. I can't. Uh, he did it in. Um, it. Uh, he did it in um, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Is that him? Yeah, yeah. it's Lagosi in Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Because uh, at the end of Ghost of Frankenstein, they put Igor's brain in the monster. Right. And the monster was actually supposed to have dialogue in uh, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, but they they cut all the dialogue out. Um, that even was at the end of Lugosi? It was good. Yeah, it was Lagosi. Uh, so he he because Igor was, Igor was played by Bela Lugosi. They put Igor's brain in the monster at the end. It goes to Frankenstein, and Lugosi has a little bit of dialogue before the monster goes completely blind. Cut and the stings! He, Cut the stings! <laughs> Cut the stings! In the, in the next movie, they got Lugosi to play the monster because the monster was going to be able to speak. And then uh, they were like, "Yeah, you know what? No, we're not going to do it." And <laughs> he's just playing the monster. Lugosi never saw any value in playing the monster silent. He saw that he, you know, he. And he I think a, that was he was a stage actor, and being a stage actor, it's all about your lines. Yeah, maybe so. He comes from the stage. That's that probably created a problem. It's a bit like um, you know, Two Little Bankhead, who's a great big stage actress, who Betty Davis played all her movie counterparts. You know, the reason why, I mean, she's pretty much outspoken, which is a problem in Hollywood if you're a woman and that outspoken. But the thing, simple thing is, is that, you know, but it's like Betty Davis would never play a silent role because I am an actress. Yeah. Where, you know, or. she Did, did she do any silent film at all? Betty Davis? Mm, no, because she's a stage actress. Joan Crawford did. Jo Joan oh, yeah. Crawford she was, start, in a, was she, in a, she started the silent era, yeah. Yeah, she started the silent era, and she and after the silent era, and then talkies came around. You just blessed yourself that you actually were still working because a lot of silent actors stopped working after when talkies came in because they took all the New York actors and brought them into the. Brought a them lot of the California. a lot of the comedy actors uh, from the silent era became like extras and background in like the Three Stooges and Laurel and Hardy movies and uh, uh, stuff like that, like Heine Conklin and. Um, a lot of those guys, they, they could, uh, Charlie Chase, after the silent era, he just became a director because nobody wanted to see Charlie Chase speak. I mean, you were so, kidding. They filmed The Mummy from Stella over to October 28th to November 24th. So you're right. They just jammed this, this bitch down. <laughs> they just well, well, I mean. But yeah, even, even the old. even the cast even the casting's a bit lazy. I mean, you don't have some great character actors in the background in this movie either. Not at all. You know, well, really. I mean, the, one, the only one I actually think I recognized. What was his name? It wasn't um. Was it Simu? Was it Dan, Richard? Dan Seymour, the big guy that kind of looks like Victor Buono. Yeah, maybe that's who I'm thinking of. He's in a lot of bald uh, guy, right? 
I don't think no, I don't think he was bald in this. Really? Was he bald in this? I saw Dan him Seymour, in a lot of sitcoms in the years. Ben Seymour's a really, really big guy, really, 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 really fat guy. Uh, no, it's he, not him. It was glasses. He was play. He used to he was bullying around Ivan and Hetzel. No, uh, the the guy I'm thinking of was a guy who was in a lot of the uh, a lot of the Humphrey Bogart and uh, Edward G. Robinson gangster movies. He's he's in this, uh, and he's usually playing like like the prefect of police and stuff like that. Um, and the other one, uh, uh, Mary Windsor, she was kind of she was kind of like the queen of the B movies at this point. You know, kind of like the biggest scream queen around at that time, right? Because um, by that point, Evelyn Anchors. Uh, I think it, if she wasn't retired, she was coming close to it. So Mary, Mary uh, Marie Windsor, those are the only two I can think of that. Like I could, you know, I can yeah. name other things that I've seen with them in it. Uh, but uh, yeah, I everyone mean, else. But even if you look at the mummy, I mean, they didn't get an actor to play the mummy. They, they found a stuntman. And the I, mummy's costume uh, was really, really lackluster. I didn't even try. Well, yeah. The, yeah, it was that. And I mean, the thing is, it's like it was this rushed together sort of thing. And beyond, I mean, the thing is, it's like, you know, and the thing is, OK, you can get, you know, you can get a stuntman to play your monster if you want to. But right. if you get someone who's acting your monster, you get a better performance. I mean, look at Jason, you know, do you got, you know, there, there, there are some Jasons that are better than others. There are oh, some, yeah. some Mike, there's some Michael Myers's that are better than others. Depending it's, on you know, it's a little bit of nod of the head or you know whatever they're they're act they're acting within a suit. Then the other people are just putting the suit on, and just going, just okay, I'm gonna do the job. I and mean, the mummy, and the mummy feels like that. I'm just here to do the Glenn, job. Glenn Strange is the Frankenstein monster, but that could also be he was never given anything to do. But you you uh, if you look at um, Karloff as the monster, uh, Lon Chaney, uh, yeah, Lon Chaney Jr. is not as good. But then when you look at Glenn Strange, he's lying on a slab all the time, and then getting up and, uh, and that's it. Um, and you got, you need, you need something going on behind the eyes. It's all about yeah, the eyes, um, you know. You might your face might be covered up with God knows what, but this was 1955. So Lon Chaney Jr. is not under contract anymore because he was he was the last person to play the mummy in the movies, I think. Um, but they got Michael I, Landon. He was. He just got off of being a teenage werewolf. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that was around this time, yeah. yeah. But uh, th 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 those weren't universal, though. Those were. Uh, were those AIP? Yeah, probably AIP. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think of who was who was under contract because, like in the Abbott and Costello movies before this, you basically had the people in, on the Universal lot kind of turning up for everything. You know, Lionel Atwell shows up. George Zucco shows. Uh, show, I think George Zucco shows up. Glenn Strange shows up in. Uh, uh, coming around the mountain, um, yeah. Lon Chaney Jr. shows up in I think like one or two of them. Hmm. So th by this time, yeah, there really I guess there wasn't anybody we would recognize instantly that was under contract to Universal. Hmm. So a lot of those a lot of those great character actors weren't popping up anymore, or they all moved on to do the right thing. And not you know the, I mean it had a budget of seven hundred and twenty six thousand, and I imagine the most of that budget was Abbott Stu's salary, Abbott and Costello's salary probably. Probably, yeah. yeah. Do this one more for us at the end of your contract. Do one more. Do one they more. And another one thing, I mean, but another thing I'm often wondering because this is the last in the whole cycle of their films. After this, they would split their separate ways. And sometimes I wonder if, like, because, you know, they go, well, we don't want them to make any more money because we don't want them to be under our contract anymore. So we don't need to make any more films when we made our money. So there could be a bit of that. And that does happen in Hollywood studios sometimes. 
okay, you're running down now. We don't need to put all our effort in here because we made our money off you and you're, you're going to go, we don't, we're not going to renegotiate, renegotiate your contract because if you have a huge hit, that means we have to give you more money. So <laughs> it's probably that as well. So shitty too that. though. Yeah. I mean, well, that's, uh... what they, that's what they did with the old actors. Like if you look at Betty Davis and, you know, John Crawford and all those old actresses, they've been in these great movies. And then as their contracts were winding down, what they did is they put them in like just schlocky stuff and made them do it because they knew that, you know, that way if they have to renegotiate, they don't have to pay them more money because they're just coming off a hit. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. It's a bit, what happens it's a business at the end of the day. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking it up now. Bud Abbott's career, for all intents and purposes, after this was basically over. He made yeah. one more movie, Lou Costello. They, they did Dance with Me, Henry, at MGM. Uh, and I'm seeing he had one appearance on General Electric Theater. And I was there an Abbott and Costello cartoon show that I didn't? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, there I, was. I, that was in like in the late 60s, wasn't it? 60s? Yeah, I late 60s. And Lou Costello was already dead. Yeah. So it wasn't even Lou Costello in it. So. Yeah, that is spin off uh, from Scooby Doo. I want to say because they had him on Scooby Doo. I mean, I I think to be honest, I think it was the same animators as Mr. Magoo because I kind of remember having kind of the same kind of look. Yeah, I don't think it was. I don't think it was Hanna Barbera, but I do remember it. I do remember it being on because it was around the same time as Rocky and Bullwinkle and yeah, um, Felix the Cat and Underdog and all that sort. And um, oh, who's that? What's the one with the like the turtle and they lived in the forest and had a little, <laughs> little oh I can't remember it now. When they, uh, they came in glasses, you got glasses and all this well, little I know what you're talking about, but for the life of me, I could Pogo, I Pogo, Pogo's world or something like that. I gotta look that up. And Harvey cartoons and stuff like that, and Cecil, Cecil the uh, sea dragon. I remember that one. I remember Benny and Cecil. I remember Casper from Harvey Toons. I think Felix the Cat was Harvey Toons. Yeah. In that era, at least. I know Felix the Cat started in the 20s. The Yellow Gorilla. No, that was Hanna-Barbera. That was Hanna-Barbera. I'm going to take that gorilla in the window. (laughs) (laughs) You want to talk? That that would be such an (laughs) offensive cartoon. Now, can you imagine putting on the Yellow Gorilla right (laughs) People would lose their fucking minds. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I mean, I remember the Harvey. I mean, that, I think Abbott Costello was around the same time as Harvey cartoons because I don't. I mean, I was really young. My parents were still together because I remember getting up in the morning with my cereal and and I remember it was around the Harvey because the Harvey cartoons always had that clown popping up with the heart, you know, with the yeah, the Jack bring in the time and have Jack in the Box, the Harvey cartoons sort of thing. And I remember that, and I remember Abbott Costello around that same time, and it has that, and it had that same kind of look as Mr. Magoo kind of look yeah. to it. But you know, it, had, it might have been the same studio, it might not have been. But the Hudson Brothers. Don't know why that popped up into my head. <laughs> that was the seventies. Yeah, that was the seventies. With the emu, they had that emu. There's that guy, there's that guy with the emu. Remember that guy with the, he had the puppet emu that said they're just attack people, and everyone thought that was McLean so funny. McLean Stevenson had attacked McLean Stevenson once. Oh my god, it was so funny. That's why uh, the Abbott and Costello cartoon show was actually Hanna Barbera. Which one Hanna was Barbera. it? The Abbott and Costello was Hanna Barbera. Was it? They what year? Let's look it up. Yeah. What year was it? About 67, 68, 69? Uh, 60, 67 to 68, 39 episodes. Wow, man, that's God. I don't even like thinking I can remember shit like that. I wonder if they're available. I've I bet never you they seen are them. somewhere. I, I know they, uh, you know, 
I didn't, I didn't know there was an Abbott and Costello TV show uh, or, or cartoon show, I should say. Right. Abbott and Costello animated. But see, I just, I remember only, it's like very vaguely in the back of my mind. And I remember the time period where I was. I mean, and because Underdog at the same time was my favorite show. I have some of the original cells from Underdog upstairs on, on my wall. Because Underdog was my favorite cartoon and Rocky and Bullwinkle were my favorite. Oh, it's on Crackle. So. The, the Abbott and Costello That's cartoon show. Abbott and Costello show. Wait, 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 wait. Not cartoons. I think it was better than I think it was better than um Brady, uh, Peter uh, the Partridge family um 2070, 2070 AD where they're in the flying spaceship. <laughs> That's Josie the Pussycat. <laughs> no, they did. Remember, they did the Partridge Family cartoon, didn't they? They did the Brady Bunch oh, cartoon. Oh, yes. Okay, <laughs> the Partridge, yeah. The Partridge oh, Family in God, space. Oh, my God. That's right. That's right. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I, I love from the past. I love Josie and the Pussycats. I had a groovy. So that, I love their theme song, Josie and the Pussycats. <laughs> like, uh, Pussycats are at us. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm old. Not the crypt keeper yet, but we're getting there. Yeah. So, yeah. the animated series. I'm gonna have to, uh, after the podcast, we'll, I'm gonna see if I can track down the animated series. I had no idea it existed. So, I don't know uh, if it was. I can't. I can't remember if it was good or not. All I can remember is that they were in tan suits you. and they were and they were always running away from something. That's the only. That's the only memory I, I have. Bet. Yeah, that stupid fake. I bet. Yeah. That's all I remember, actually. So I think they're on YouTube. There, I just found one called Gadzuka. And I just found one. Too. Yeah, I just found it. I might be looking at the same thing you are. Yeah, we are. Hmm. Uh, well, I mean, it's it's not Lou Costello. Lou Costello was dead by this point. Lou yeah, Costello it was, was somebody else that had nearly a decade. Yeah, I guess Bud Abbott needed the money, but hey, it's yeah. something. Two, two seasons of TV, you know, to do voice work. Not yeah. that bad. I remember that now. That's scary. I remember Felix the Cat. Was the black and white Felix the Cat? Well, Felix the Cat. I there's silent Felix the Cat ones from like the, the from like the 1920s. Felix the Cat's been around forever. And well, Felix it's the so Cat. So satanic. <laughs> Felix the Cat is the same studio as Mickey, the original Mickey Mouse. Yeah, pre Walt. Yeah, yeah. The the studio uh, that e- the original E-walks. Mickey Mouse. I works. I works. He works. Works something like something that. Like that. It was something like that. Didn't you think the original Mickey Mouse was like freaky looking? He was like, no. He well, the original, the original Mickey Mouse wasn't wasn't your kind, happy go lucky furry. He's quite cruel. No, but nice you at know? all. And over, over a period of time, they got he kind of got mellowed out. But I don't. I mean, Mickey Mouse was. I mean, to be honest, I think Clara Bell was probably a bigger bigger hit than Mickey Mouse was. The cow. I remember that. <laughs> I remember a cow. <laughs> Bell, the cow. Uh, and Mickey kind of just kind of was popped in and out. Then, then I think w- once he went to color, then that's when he became the, the Mickey Mouse that we know. But he went through, well, you know, it's like Bugs Bunny. If you look at the, in- the different incarnations of Bugs Bunny, he, st- he started yeah. out as brown. He was brown to begin with. And then they kind yeah. of rounded him out and stuff like that. That's true, yeah. boy. And then when it went to color, like Bosco kind of fell off because that was like the first like big one, I think. Was it Bosco? No, what was well, the name of the, the fox uh, uh, for Warner Brothers? Oh, like, if you watch, uh, like, uh, Smile, Darn You Smile and all that stuff. Uh, God, this is... There's Droopy Doggy. Going down. 
like really depressed. What cartoon was it? Oh, bulldog. Foxy. What cartoon was it where you had the walrus eating all the baby oysters with the bonnets? That's Alice in Wonderland. Was it Alice? Well, I was trying to figure out where yeah, I. Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, that, that's that's quite a morbid little piece. Of- <laughs> That little tidbit for a child's cartoon. They're all sitting yeah. there with their little bonnet-like things yeah, on themselves, and he's going to eat them all, you know? Well, do you know what the first Dr. Seuss, the, the first Dr. Seuss cartoon is, don't you? I probably know if I, but no, I don't know. I can't remember the place. Horn Hatch is an egg. Warner Brothers, um, Looney Tunes, back in 1947. I don't recall that at all. Yeah, you, you, should look at, you look it up. It's excellent. It's really good. And of course, that would make then they would move on in the 60s later, like a decade later. Doing the oh, other my stuff, God, how funny. With Chuck Jones and everything. It's fantastic. But Oh, and, and, and since it's the season, everybody check out Halloween is Grinch Night, the the, the Grinch uh, TV special that nobody talks about from the, There's from a the Halloween 70s. Grinch Night? Yeah, Halloween is Grinch Night. I think it's mm-hmm. on YouTube. Um, if, you, if you have the Blu-ray of um, uh, the Boris Karloff uh, Grinch, it's an extra on it, but yeah, Halloween is Grinch night is the Halloween special of the Grinch that uh, aired in the seventies. And like, not a lot of people know about it. Did Dr. Seuss have any, did Dr. Seuss have anything to do with it? Or is this just the the studio just spinning off on their own? Off the top of my head. I have no idea. Um, Karloff was dead. So uh, he's obviously not doing it, but uh, I, I remember it's not as good as the uh, the Christmas one. The Christmas one is just it's magic, you know. <laughs> the, um, well, I mean, you got Boris Karloff. Boris Karloff. Oh, it's a series. He, he just narr- he's he's the voice no, narrating everything through. No, the Halloween is Grinch night. It's only one. It's a TV special. Yeah. Okay, yeah. they said series. This says But if you look at how the how the Grinch stole Christmas, I mean, the whole thing's bar- Boris Karloff narrating and singing. Oh my gosh, him. I did not know this existed. With music by the guy who was in Fame. <laughs> and I mean it looks quite it looks quite Halloweenish too. I mean, you know, look at the, the look at the faces. Those are not nice characters. <laughs> it's uh it's a curiosity. It's not like don't don't go into it expecting oh, it to be as good as how the Grinch stole Christmas because that was such a better right. It's a curiosity, like the Brady Bunch, um, the Brady Bunch um, happy hour when they, t- they did that song and dance Friday show that lasted for like four episodes. Oh, yeah, which nobody, wanted, the Friday nobody show. wanted to see that. <laughs> Where they is, sing and they don't stop singing ever. And they, and, and they can't sing, which is even worse. But yeah. Thank God. It's that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that. I mean that. That was on. Uh, what you call? I mean those episodes are on YouTube as well. Just the one. I, mean, I think. I think. I, I think I shared it with you once. Like, oh, you gotta you see did. this. <laughs> you can't unsee it. So no, you can't. It damn near drove me back to day drinking. Going back to Abbott Costello, I guess we should write this movie before we take off for the day. And so, starting with you, Joe, how many stars would you get Abbott Costello meet the mummy? Uh, 
three and a half to four. It's old hat, but at this point, I still kind of enjoy it because, like like Keith said earlier, I still enjoy the characters. Um, I mean, it is kind of like you could see how much older they are than you know. Even five years ago, even Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. They, they. This is only seven years late, uh, later, and they look so so much older. Um, yeah, they did. They look tired. Yeah, they definitely look tired. Um, it's, you know, it's 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 an okay coda to the to the Universal uh, run. They made one more movie after this for MGM called Dance with Me, Henry, um, and then that that was it for them. Um, it's fine. Like if you're if you're if you're somebody who watches all the Abbott and Costello movies and you watch them all like really close together, like I did, by the by the end of it, you might be like, "Oh my god, this is the same bit from this movie. This is the same bit from this movie. The same bit from this movie." But if you're not doing that, then it you know it's cute. It's it's still you know it's still Abbott and Costello. It's still even at its worst. It's still not yeah. you know not anything terrible. Yeah, agree. And what about you, said Binks? Uh, I'd probably give it a four. I, I it, it was kind of, I don't know. I never, I kind of thought of it in context after Joe told me that you know, people weren't expecting to see this over and over again like we are now. And that kind of gave me a different mind frame about it. I just always loved Abbott Costello because I thought it was just great comedy slapstick stuff back then. And I'm still a little loyal to that. So, I mean, but it wasn't their best movie but i mean it isn't heinous either you know mm. I, it, it's not bad mm. i like how I'm they call him claris and not caris we didn't really touch on is the mummy in this they don't touch imhotep they went to they they went and parodied caris from the, yeah. the mummy sequels so yeah i'm sorry keith i cut you off just as you were but yeah no we, we i i think the reason why they did that is because I don't know, maybe because it was just easier to say to, to, to they can take a the piss out of the name and call it Clarice or Clarice Clarice. Times of the Lambs. Abba Castello me Hannibal Lecter. I think Castello me Hannibal Lecter would be amazing. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it two and a half to three. And the reason how and the, how I score Abbott Costello movies because I have the whole Universal collection. And I, I am Abbott Costello. Well, I was actually thinking about doing an Abbott Costello season on the show here, but then after watching about fifteen of them, I realized it's going to be like doing Bewitched all over again. Like yeah, it would have got painful over. for us. Definitely. And, but and the reason why I give it two and a half, so I score my Abbott Costello by how many times I smile or smirk or just like oh sort of thing. <laughs> and I and I don't do it that much in here. And I I think it has to be with. You know, if it had some great character actors in there that I love or, you know, or, you know, or. They didn't even have one. I mean, that like they normally did. Peggy King was probably about as close as they could get probably to a celebrity. At yeah. That point. And, and she's kind of boring, you know, sort of thing. But I mean, you know, you know, before we had like the Andrew sisters, we had, you know, yeah. Thelma Ritter. And you, you found know, yourself any, doing this when you're watching the Andrew sisters, the Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy. I mean, who doesn't know those songs that doesn't like Well, that? I mean, Boogie I mean, Woogie Bugle Boy, it was a song that was written for the first movie of Abbott and Costello. So I didn't know quite it was written for them. Yeah, so that's that's when it made its debut. So, and that of course that song's, you know. My father said that song was like golden hit for like all through the war. Of course, I mean even now we still we still know it. 
I mean, I I have it on one of my playlists. I love it. It's like I love the Andrews Sisters. I think they were fantastic. Oh, I actually like that stuff too. The Andrews they Sisters were, were in a few of the early movies too. Like they were in like three yeah. or four of them, from what I remember. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, they weren't pretty, the but, they, but they could sing. In the, <laughs> in the army, they were in all those. They didn't yeah. have the Air Force back then, but they would have made that too. I guess they could have. Yeah. But they were in I Hold mean, That I, Ghost. They were they were the lounge singers in the next uh, in uh, Hold That Ghost as well. Yeah. And the thing is, is like when they do pop in, it's just like they're welcome. They're they're welcomed sort of thing. I mean, they're not pretty. They weren't pretty girls, but no, they but had, they were. They, but there's something had, about but, them though. They, yeah, they had something. I don't know what it was. Charisma, maybe they talked. They did have a lot of charisma. Game. There was yeah. one that was fairly attractive. The, well, the, the, I the, mean, the, as the far mid- as blonde, there's the middle one. No, they're they're the middle one, and they they had a bit of a a little bit of a comedy timing as well because they would always you know have some kind of something to do with one of them with turning yeah. them down <laughs> or something <laughs> or be be involved in her hijinks. So, but yeah, I, I give about two and a half. It's only because it I just feels like they're going through the motions, and they don't. I know it doesn't feel like they want to be there, so they it does have that feel behind it. And I do, and I, you know, as I said before, they had some character actors there for them to play off of, and they don't really have anyone for them to play off of either. That's like the Ma and Pa Kettle stuff that we always love so much that come up in certain movies. Well, yeah, Marjorie Mann, if, if, if put Marjorie Mann in this, I mean, I, that would, I'd give, give it a five. Oh, hell one. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Pa! That's actually, pa! That's, <laughs> that's, actually, that's actually an interesting way to look at it, because, yeah, they, they did have a good supporting cast for a lot of the other movies, this one, you know, the only two people, like I said, I recognize are Dan Seymour and Marie Windsor. Besides that, I couldn't pick the rest of these people out of a lineup. And they're um, a bit flat as well, what they're doing. They're not, they're kind of just there as well. You know, it's almost, it feels like everyone's there for their paycheck and that's it. You know. Yeah. Is that, you know, it's not like, let's make a movie. Yay. Come on, yeah. Judy. Come on, Andy. Here we go. It's kind of like, oh, we're yeah. make a movie. Has Had they been around a couple more years, they would have uh, they would have done Creature from the Black Lagoon, I guess, because that was just coming out. And they did it as a as a bit on um on the TV show. Uh, yeah. By the way, do, uh, the the DVD that you could see on Amazon, it's Abbott and Costello meet the Creature from the Black Lagoon. That's not a movie, so right. <laughs> yeah, I, I I remember I remember uh, getting what is uh, it? It's just. <laughs> It's the seven minute sketch from the uh, from the TV show and a bunch of and a bunch of clips. Yeah. From the so TV if you series. if you ever like I I had already seen it so I, I never bought the DVD but I was like oh okay that's what that's gonna be. And, I, I and, knew there was and and, 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 and on bad videotape as well. It's not very yeah. Clear, it's, it's, it's the old video they haven't cleaned it up or anything so it's kind of like. Yeah, you know. it's um. You you're just you're just gonna have your money basically stolen from you if you if you buy that DVD, so do not it's buy like, it. <laughs> like watching some of the little rascals and you can't make out what they're saying through the cackle. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, I I bought one of those uh, public domain box sets that uh, has uh, a bunch of movies of uh, the East Side Kids and a bunch of the Little Rascals, and my god, some of the quality is just some of them are unwatchable because of just how bad. How bad it is, yeah. They've I, actually um, d- they they actually just all redone them on Blu-ray right now, so it would be quite interesting if they d- they got they sorted all that out. It'd be interesting. Blu-ray is so Blu-ray is so it's it's such a it thinks out so much about the movie though. Sort of like Batman with uh the first one. With well, Michael I think, I think you, you can tell that that's a cartoon or animation. Yeah. You know, but I, it just but shows I think, too much. 
Blu-ray with old movies, like old black and whites, it's fantastic because like if you watch the women on, on Blu-ray, which we'll be covering next month. But the thing is that they cleaned up the soundtrack. The soundtrack is crisp. And because there's not there's no special effects, it's just them acting. It's like everything's a bit more clear and you can hear them a lot clearer. Because mm-hmm. some of the some of the I mean, especially like the women when we will cover that for our make remake. I mean, they talk at 100 miles, 150 miles per hour. Rosalind the older Russell, one. The, well, yeah, the Rosalind Russell does not come up for air. I mean, <laughs> she never does. She yes. never does. I remember the first time I saw her was on His Girl Friday and she is holding her own with Cary Grant and it's just just popping back yeah. and forth. And I remember reading a lot of that stuff was ad libbed. So. But if, you watch, but if you watch his girl friday like like the what you see on tv it's like a really hard but then if you get the blu-ray of his girl friday it's crystal clear and you can make everything she's saying so it makes a the lot criterion right. collection version is fantastic i love the criterion of that one because the um this too is actually uh the front page mm-hmm. so that's that's what's really awesome about that uh that set yeah and i you know and it does and blu-ray does work fantastically well for those but as you're saying, for any old special effect like Ray Harryhausen, Blu-ray does not do a good job with Ray Harryhausen no. whatsoever. You know, if you any- look at Clash of the Titans, I mean, it is horrible. It is horrible. I watched uh, uh, House of Dracula on Blu-ray last year because I have it on uh, the Wolfman set. The Wolfman set I have on Blu-ray. The rest I have all on DVD. When I watched House of Dracula, the opening where the bat is flying up to the um, flying up to the mansion where it becomes John Carradine. You could see the, st- on the Blu-ray, you could see the strings that are holding the bat up. So yeah. Mm-hmm. But, they're like dark shadows. But even, even the Blu-ray of Friday the 13th, you can actually see the fake neck with the line is. Where I've never the noticed. And stuff like that. You can, because it's a different cone. It's a different tone than their skin color. But uh, if you watch it on DVD or something that's not as clear, it, you don't notice it. Um, so. uh, watch Jaws on Blu-ray. It's ba- the first scene's basically a porno. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, she, when she's because she really, when she's swimming in the water, basically it's because it's it's they cleared it up. You can basically your the world's your gynecologist. Yeah. Oh, really? Uh, you can see it all, it, huh? It is yeah. not a PG movie anymore. Uh, but the thing that really ruined Jaws uh, for me uh, when it, when it was out on Blu-ray is the scenes where they're trying to hide the shark. It's so clear now that you can see it, and the shark looks awful. So for Jaws, do not buy the Blu-ray. Watch your DVDs, or the movie will be ruined. It's yeah. not the same movie on Blu-ray. Um, but yeah, it's uh, but, it, like, but it's very but it's but but it is very good for like old movies that don't oh, have yeah. that, that not, who are not relying on social um special effects. So, yeah, exactly. Um, and it, and they're fantastic for old silent movies as well, like Metropolis or The Cabinet of Doctor Caligari. Oh my god! I just got the Kino version of the the complete Metropolis. I it just arrived yesterday. I haven't watched oh, it yet. Oh, you haven't seen it? I'd be curious to know how that turned out. The old, the, the silent one we're talking about. Yeah, right? it's, yeah, all, it's been never, restored as well. Isn't it about two and a half hours long now, or something? Yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, it's something like half an hour longer. So I'm I'm so looking forward to checking it out. And I also just got and this was the, the the release that I was most excited about uh, that was coming out this year. Um, the Warner Archives edition of um, the 1931 Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which was really? badly in need of being restored. And I, uh, I can't wait to dig in on that one. 
that's what I've been looking forward to for a while. Uh, Frederick March uh, won the uh, the Academy Award oh, yeah. for Best Actor for Jekyll and Hyde. Um, so I cannot wait for that one. If, if they did a, as good a job as, of restoring that as they did with uh, uh, Dr. X and Mystery of the Wax Museum, then it's going to be a fantastic, uh, fantastic release. I cannot wait to dig into it. I want to get The Man Who Laughed as well. The Man Who Laughed, I have the Kino DVD of it. It's a pretty good restoration. I've never seen that one on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Apparently it's coming, apparently. so Awesome. But, I will be looking forward to that, too. Yeah, because we're probably covering it because it'll be part of our you know, tie-in with our Batman stuff quite easily. Yeah. We could definitely fit it into the Batman series, yeah. Yeah, I, because that's, I would, that's how Bob Kane got the inspiration of Joker, isn't it, from that movie? Con- yeah, mm-hmm. Conrad Veidt. brings us to the end of the literary license podcast next week will be our books of screen and we'll be covering gone girl by jillian flynn in the 2014 movie of gone girl of course it will be continuing on because it'll be november and november will be there's always a woman or women are bitches month <laughs> so we'll be we covering doctor who would be dialects part two and of course batman will be doing be a clown two-face part one and two and it's never too late and of course, our make remake will be the women from 1939 and the opposite of sex from 1956. And our monsters and madmen will be two bitches, which will be double indemnity from 1944 and basic instinct from 1992. So it's good night for myself. A good night, Vix. Good night, guys. Good night, Joe. Good night, everyone. And we'll see you next week for Marriage Gone Wrong with Gone Girl by Jillian Flynn and Gone Girl, the David Finch film.
Hasta 